Welcome to Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Monday, August 29th, 2016. And in this recording, I had made fun of the fact that Mike does not get out of bed until 6 p.m. in the afternoon, to which he vehemently denied. But come on, people, we all know the truth. And here he is. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing good, uh, folks. I don't sleep till 6 p.m., so that's an exaggeration. But um, mainly, I had stuff planned for the rest of this week. Um, we get ready to go back to college um, next uh, next month, and uh, mainly only have one math class. But it's the last math class I need to get my AA transfer degree. So I'm looking forward to getting that done and over with. But um, yeah, I just thought today would be a better time to do it than Tuesday because I'll be busy, and Wednesday I got other stuff to do as well. So. Anyway, yeah, so that's why I decided to do it Monday. I think I might try to make this uh, thing, you know, just every Monday. Because Tuesday, when I start school, won't work because I have class in the evening. So, Hmm. I don't get home until like 9 o'clock. Well, Tuesday, I should, if all things go according to plan, I should have a a normal weekly trivia gig downtown uh, where I live, uh, where I'm doing trivia at some nightclub or something. Uh, and I badly need that money, so I hope that, that gig works out. So Tuesday would not be super great for me either. Um, so yeah, Monday Monday is good. Monday's the beginning of the work week. Everyone's all bummed out and pissed off because they have to start their work weeks. Um, and although you won't have this on Monday morning per se, you'll at least have it on Tuesday to uh, yeah. get you through your week for mysterious th- stuff. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, covering only three cases this week. Um, and Going back to the normal format, it's uh, it's easier, and uh, that way things don't get too long. Yeah, you know, four segments aren't too horrible if they're, like, real short. Um, so, I mean, if we have, like, two really short ones we can do and then, like, two normal ones, that's fine. But, yeah, three feels like a good good amount. Um, you people don't want to hear these voices in your head uh, for for more than an hour and a half anyway, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so uh, Mike chose the first two that we're going to tackle. The first one we're getting into is uh, the Connecticut Valley Killer. That yes. sounds, sounds scary just based off the name. Um, didn't most of this happen in New Hampshire, though? Where'd they get Connecticut from? Yeah, I know. New Hampshire slash Vermont. Vermont border for Vermont, Vermont Vermont, border. Vermouth. Uh, it's a Connecticut River Valley <clears throat> near Route 91 <clears throat> in uh, both uh, Vermont and New Hampshire. So that's where a lot of these uh, killings and these attacks occurred. Now, what I probably what I found interesting about this particular segment was this this killer. It's almost refreshing in a sense because he didn't target people specifically. He didn't stalk people. He just kind of picked locations that he wanted to kill at. Like, anybody who comes to this location who happens to be female is going to die. Like, he wouldn't pick certain people or 
whatever. He it was just an anonymous killing, which I guess really isn't refreshing if I really put it that way. But yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I don't I, think that's the better. I mean, I guess what I mean is uh, like because on so much unsolved mysteries, it's like these poor people who are stalked and tor like tormented mentally with notes, and yeah. you know, it, I guess that's what I meant by it. You know, these people weren't stalked; they just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, and then this psychopath came out of nowhere and uh. And, you know, he's your typical control freak, sociopath. He, he you know, probably has a very negative view towards women, probably never had much luck with women. And this is actually what uh, one of the investigators says in the actual segment himself. Um, and he just, he's obsessed with control. He's obsessed with abducting these women, taking them to a certain spot, his, his killing field, is the name I gave to it, um, and killing them at this location where he's got complete control and they become like his play toys and, and they belong to him. He possesses them at that point. Exactly. Um, I chose this one because I thought it was fairly memorable. Also, it was one that I remember seeing when I was fairly young. And there was one main thing about this segment that always stuck with me. And it's actually two couple main things. For one, there's one victim who was pregnant who she was stabbed like 27 times and somehow managed to survive, which is really a miracle. Yeah. Um, but the main thing was, it's such such a random thing, but it really stuck with me. Is she the place where this pregnant lady is staying at? Like she's parked in her car. I think it's at like a rest stop area, kind of something around there. And they have these vending machines which I think are supposed to be Pepsi vending machines, but all the Pepsi logos are blurred out. Oh, yeah, they were. So you have this really surreal-looking, you know, these really surreal, creepy-looking vending machines that have no labeling on them. So it's like the Pepsi colors, you know, blue, uh, white, and red, but there's no Pepsi logo. And so, and, and then there were certain scenes that were shot in slow motion. It had the ghosting effect as well. So it just gave it this very eerie quality to it that just very, just really stuck in my, my head. And when I watched this segment again, I was like, oh my, it's this segment. I found it. It, it was, it was really, it was a cathartic experience because I completely, it's like my brain, like I might not have thought of it at the time about how much the, I, I remember this segment. But like when I was watching it, it just everything started to come back, and then it was like I totally remember watching this beforehand. And I I kind of want to jump off of what you said with that, and I kind of want to like just kind of put out there what people already probably expected. Um, please don't send us anything about this questioning it or anything, but uh, we found a, a resource where we can see these old episodes and. Um, so we we've been introduced to a whole treasure trove of of stuff that we remembered as kids and i know probably for mike individually and then for me whenever i'm going through these old episodes and i stumble upon one that i remember from my childhood it's just like it's like a treasure chest it's like oh my god i remember this one yes like yeah exactly that's yeah. probably one of the big reasons why liz carmichael was one of the first ones we did the first episode of the show well mike actually suggested it but uh i was like hell yes i remember seeing this one as a kid and like the dale and how it was a piece of shit and the the 
prototype was like wooden door hinges and whatnot. Um, so this was one from your childhood. I don't particularly remember this one, but I still thought it was pretty interesting. Um, so to dive into kind of the story here, um, it was May of 1984, 17-year-old Bernice set off to see her boyfriend, and she was never seen again. Two months later, 27-year-old Ellen Freed calls her sister from a payphone, and she's never heard from again. Um, 18 months later, skeletal remains of Ellen Freed were found eight miles outside of Claremont. Bernice, uh, her remains would also turn up there in the same area around uh, one mile away. Um, since 1978, the skeletal remains of six women have been found in this area. Think about that. Skeletal remains of a human being found in the same area of six people. Dude, that's fucking creepy. I mean, it's one thing. I remember happening upon like a dead cow carcass in this field one time with this this girl I was dating at the time. And it was like in that, that, that part of decomposition where like all it really had was like a little bit of the hide left, but it was mainly bones. Yeah. And even, yeah. even just seeing that... I mean, it was fascinating, but at the same time, I was like, "Ooh, that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of disturbing. That's kind of creepy." The type of thing where you see these bones and it chills your bones. It's bone chilling to see this kind of, you know, it would be bone chilling to see all those skeletal remains. Well, human human skeletal remains of that man, yeah. I can't even imagine because you know, human bones belong in a grave where people know where it is and it's dignified and all that. Not in some fucking field. So to find six of them, and, and, and you know, and it being women, it's like, oh man, come on, you know, like what the fuck? Um, police suspected the killings were from the same individual. Well, obviously, um, with no uh, witnesses and little physical evidence, investigators were at a standstill, and kind of in a desperate attempt to get some kind of footing on this case, they brought in criminal psychologist John Philbin to develop a profile for the killer, and then. It kind of uh, the episode kind of shifts and centers around this guy John Philbin, and actually I really like him. I thought he was really interesting and cool. Yeah, and uh, the segment did a great job uh, interspersing his segments with the reenactments and things like that. Right, and in this uh, particular segment is not called unsolved murder or anything like that. It was actually under a label called the Inve uh, the investigators. Yeah, I like those. There's other ones that they've done where on the investigators. There's one where there's this psychic guy that was pretty interesting. Yeah, some, some uh, piece of delivery woman. Or I know. Who, I know exactly the exact case you're talking yeah. about. They, that was on the Ultimate Collection under Psychics. Um, yeah, that that was a really cool one. Um, I, I his name's at the tip of my tongue. But yeah, that's you know everybody knows who watched the old Unsolved Mysteries. There were you know the, the little categories, the the words that would kind of fall down from the top of the screen to the bomb with like the little uh, you know purple uh, like jail bars in the background, and it would say you know missing person, UFO or uh, the unexplained well a lot of people forgot that there was a category called the investigators that only explored like i guess investigators who whether they were psychic or uh psychologists ones where there, there was a one of the first ones i think was about this guy who was trying to investigate to find uh, lost hairs trying to find missing heirs for certain fortunes so uh that was one of the first ones i remember it was like in the first season i think where you know the investigators i think son of sam was also an investigator oh wow, okay that's one we we might revisit someday down the road we probably should we didn't do I that one think, <laughs> we didn't do that one justice that, we didn't do that one very well so 
<laughs> I don't know. I think that that was like I was on the first episode, I believe. So yeah. we were just finding yeah. our footing on everything. Exactly. <laughs> I remember that one. I remember that one in particular, thinking like, "Man, that's such an interesting case," and I did such a bad job talking about it. <laughs> Whatever. Everybody starts somewhere. Damn it. Um, but no, uh, this guy John Philbin, this um, <clears throat> this. Uh, psychologist or whatever this criminal psychologist he he basically like his approach is to collect much of the same info that the police get you know like the autopsy photos and the case file and all that and he begins with that and then he kind of profiles from there like who who the killer might be what he might look like what what he tries to get in the guy's head i mean that's this guy's job is to get into yeah. the head of a killer which i mean i can imagine how scary that would be it, it, like, can you just think about what type of mindset you put yourself in? It would take a lot of self-control. Right, and, and knowing yourself. Things, uh, you don't want to get lost right. you know, in, in the head of the serial killer. Well, I'm immediately brought to Heath Ledger and kind of... Yeah. You know, even though he died from uh, a sleeping pill uh, drug interaction or something, I mean, a lot of people were saying that he took on this this role of the Joker, which was this evil kind of dark, brooding character in the yeah. uh, Christopher Nolan Batman series. That they, that, you know, a lot of people, and this could well, probably just be rumor, yeah. but that he, no, there's actual stuff from I think from Heath himself who said that he was having a hard time sleeping. It was something that was just uh, he kind of. Uh, got into the role and uh, that that led to a great performance but that's the kind of the dangers of method acting is if you're in in it long enough it, it becomes kind of the point where it's like who who are you really you kind of you lose yourself in some yeah ways. So John Philbin uh, eventually went out to the place where Bernice and all the other skeletal remains were discovered. He wanted to see how it smelled, how it felt, how did he feel being out there. He wanted all all the senses to be stimulated by you know this 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 killer. You know, like what what did he he really wanted to become this killer because he felt like he could more accurately get a profile on this guy. Um, he says when he, when he gets to the point to where he's developing a certain feel of the killer, he goes through the scenes and runs the scenarios through his mind, like as what, what might have happened if he was the one doing the killing. What's he hearing? What's he feeling? What is he able to see? Um, part of what's going on with this particular killer, according to John, is that he's got a very strong need to take these women alive and transport them to this site that is pre-selected, during which time he owns them and he can do whatever he wishes. Then we uh, roll up to uh, midnight, August 8th, 1988, Winchester, New Hampshire. 23-year-old Jane was returning from a fair when she stopped at what appeared to be an abandoned gas station, or at least a deserted gas station, mm -hmm. for a soft drink out of the vending machine that Mike was, the aforementioned uh, generic Pepsi vending machine that had the logo covered up. Um, and as Robert Stack put it, if there was a serial killer on the loose, this would have been his time to strike. <laughs> and he did. Exactly. Uh, uh, and, and, oh, and to add to the drama of this, she was seven months pregnant. Um, so she comes back to her car, and I don't know if this is like a small town thing, or if this is a stupidity thing, but, you know, they show in the scene, it's this dark abandoned gas station with a vending machine. She goes back to her car, she just takes her time, opening the can, yeah. drinking it, 
Dude, I don't know, man. I mean, I'd be on the way. I'd be on my way. Yeah. Driving down the road, you know. My my dad is a very paranoid individual, and he did a fantastic job instilling each and every one of his paranoias into me as a kid. So I now myself am a paranoid individual. And you know what? Better be safe. It's better to be safe than sorry. You know, I I would love to trust human nature and to assume that all people are generally good, but I guess I've just seen too much of this shit. And like as an American, I just I just don't really trust strangers. Um, I got into a car wreck recently, and, and the lady came out of her car, and her friend was, like, wanting my um, proof of insurance, and she was taking pictures of it, and then she, like, wanted my license, and she wanted to take a picture of that, and then, like, I finally snapped out of it from the wreck, and I was like, wait a second, I don't have to give this lady anything, and I no. said, I said, no, you're not gonna, I said, no, I'm not gonna give you my license, and she goes, well, why not, is it, is it not current? You know, I was like, yeah, bitch, I appreciate the insinuation that you're sending them a low life. I said, no, I just don't let strangers take pictures of my license. Thank you very much. And she's like, oh, well, we won't be strangers here shortly because we just got in this wreck and blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, I think the cops can take care of all that. So I'm good. So yeah. anyway, um, as she's in the car fucking with this soda, just drinking it, you know, taking her sweet time, the man approaches... Just chilling. Yeah, just chilling. Uh, this man approaches her car and grabs her kind of through the window and opens up the door. Jane tried to break away, and um, then the killer's plans went awry as she's tr- starting to break away, because, you know, she, he, he thought maybe perhaps she would just submit, but, um, the, you know, they get into a tussle, and he ends up stabbing her 18 times. She's uh, kind of just laying on the ground, and at that point, she gave up the fight because, you know, she had been stabbed a lot. And, and I thought it was 27 times total. I thought I heard 18. It could be 18. Either way. way. a lot of stabbing. <laughs> it, <laughs> That's a lot of stabs. It was one stab too many in my book. Exactly. Um, but it was kind of like as soon as she, like, kind of lay lifeless on the ground, he, he it was almost like a dog. Like, he lost interest, and he walked to his vehicle. And this is her saying this. She she watched him as he walked back to his vehicle, and then he drove by just looking down at her and kept driving. And this, the actor who played the killer uh, did a great job. Yeah. The very kind of unassuming-looking guy. He doesn't, yeah, he's kind of good-looking, not what you would expect. But uh, the performance was really good. I mean, he definitely uh, displayed this this aura of just sadistic, you know, creepy sociopath. And you know, it was very, it was, it was very eerie. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things he didn't even have to say a word either. Right. It was he... mostly just through his his uh, mannerisms and you know the way that he looked at her and things like that. So, as she's laying on the ground, according to her in the segment, she keeps telling herself, Jane, you're going to die. You're going to die. And I thought, wow, that's positive thinking for you <laughs> right there. <laughs> Josh, you're going to die. You're go- I-, I don't know, man. I'm kind of the opposite. Whatever. I'm in those situations like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be well, fine. Well, I got hit by a car because I was dumb enough to run across the street. And I got hit hard enough that I flew 15 feet in the air. And I did a complete somersault midair and landed face first. Luckily, all I did was break some teeth in my nose and got some scrapes and stuff like that. Um, and this is in traffic around 35, 40 miles an hour. So it was, it was really lucky. Um, and when I was laying there in the ground in pain, I, and then when the ambulance came and things like that, I was just 
I, w- I was just thinking, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't like, I'm going to die. I'm like, am I going to die? I don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is a natural kind of reaction you would think someone would have to a situation like that. And I'm getting put in the stretcher, and you know, in the back of the ambulance. And I'm like, am I gonna die? Am I gonna die? And the, and the, and the ambulance guy, the technician, the paramedics, like, no, you're not gonna die. You're fine. Just, just you're fine. Just, Stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting back to uh, this girl who who was laying in the street. Who was all like laying in the street and being like, I'm going to die. <laughs> right. Uh, she finally su- sums up the uh, strength to crawl back to her car, and she was actually able to get in the car and and drive to her house, or not to her house, but to her friend's house, which was two miles away. She thought she was driving fast. She didn't really know how fast though, because she was in shock. And then before she knew it, she rolled right up behind the killer in his vehicle. So, like, the dude, like, you know, at least she's like, okay, well, at least he's gone. And then she gets in her car and then, like, fucking drives up right behind the guy who just, like, ditched, you know, after he stabbed her. You could script this better. You could not script this uh, any better. And it just gets even more harrowing as he just keeps, he actually starts following her, I think. So, um, she was get she was like freaking out because like, fuck, not only am I stabbed, this guy is right in front of me now. He's probably going to follow me. Uh, I, you know, she didn't know if he'd turn around or whatever. So when she got to her friend's house, th- my, amazingly, the attacker drove on. Jane honked the horn and collapsed in the front porch. But it was at that point that the attacker had turned around. He stopped momentarily in front of the house on the road and then he just drove on into the night. Uh, miraculously, none of the knife strikes none of the knife strikes hit any vital organs or her seven month year old baby. Two months later, Jane gave birth to a healthy baby. So that's the uh, silver lining to that whole thing, and the fact that she was the one person who survived these attacks. Exactly. So after this happened, Jane was put under hypnosis, and she revealed the details of the attack. Uh, John Philbin, our uh, psychologist researcher friend, uh, concluded that there was no way she was stalked because her decision to go to the fair was a last-minute decision. At no point did she feel or see herself being stalked at any point. On top of that, this guy was very calm and collected. The whole time this encounter was going on, nothing seemed to bother him. He was in complete control of the situation. What Jane described uh, was a tremendous struggle on her part. Um... At some point in the assault, it was as though uh, she had done everything that she could, and she stopped struggling, and then the attack stopped. It seemed like she was the more she struggled, the more violent the attack got, and as soon as she stopped trying, uh, he lost interest, as I was saying earlier. Um, under hypnosis, Jane was able to give some details from the license plate, but it was only the first, first three numbers. Uh, police saw if they could identify the Jeep Wagoneer with those first three numbers, which matched Jane's description, which I'm guessing it was a Jeep Wagoneer, by the way. Um, they were able to narrow it down, and the, using the phrase narrow it down is kind of funny when I say this number. They were able to narrow it down to 1,300 Jeeps in that area, um, but they were unable to get a positive ID on any of them. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. I mean, you know say whatever you want about the cops lately, you know, about whatever your opinion is, but, like, man, those police investigators, they, like, all the fucking hours they put into solving crimes, like, how much, how much time did that take? It just, just, like, 
finding those Jeeps, those 1300 Jeeps, and then like having to literally investigate every single one of those, every single one of those Jeeps, looking into it and trying to figure out what, I mean, good Lord. Like this is before the internet. So they couldn't just do some internet program. They could just catalog things and, and solve this type of stuff for the investigators. So this is all stuff they had to do manually, probably had to call up people had you know really just had to send investigators over to places to check out these jeeps it was just yeah it's one of those things where yeah there's probably a lot of man hours and a lot of time was spent so so john philbin pretty much kind of made a profile in the sky although the guy hasn't been caught yet i mean to this day to my knowledge from all. oh yeah it's still he's still out there he feel John. And, John feels like this guy is probably a loner. He prefers to be with his own thoughts and fantasies, which I'm sure he does have very sick fantasies with with the kind of shit he's doing to these women. Uh, he has a very negative view of women, views them as arrogant, intrusive types of people. Um, New Hampshire police are still unsure if they're dealing with a serial killer, though. However, um, which I think is kind of ridiculous. Obviously, this guy. I bet he's he's a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess that I guess they're trying to say that they can't absolutely tie him to all of these murders, but it's kind of like well, it's they want to make it seem a little bit less devastating, I guess, or a little bit less terrifying, or the fact that oh, there's a serial killer on the loose, uh, you know, because serial killers have a certain annotation about them. I mean, any type of killer is awful, but a serial killer has this sort of special sort of Thing about them you know with the media and with people around and it, it creates a really a bigger sense of paranoia than in 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 the public you know right. and in the locals and so maybe trying to ease the panic and trying to make things a little bit less scary for people around that area um they, they want to act like it's not a serial killer but i i think they should just say it is so that safe people you know just to prevent you know him from killing again well, the, on, the only uh, <clears throat> the only comfort that we can really take in this is that uh i guess the killings kind of stopped in that particular area police feel like he has probably moved because jane survived her attack mm -hmm. so she can positive positively id him if he was caught in that area so yeah the, so he probably moved yeah probably and... moved and I would not be surprised if he went to kill, went on and to kill more people, more women in other places. So it's one of those things where maybe there might be certain murders in other states that might be possibly connected to uh, what he did here in the Connecticut River Valley. Uh, there was a composite sketch, you know, of uh, the, the look of what the killer looked like that they showed on, on in this particular segment. And uh, it's, it's whenever they do that, it, it, it's just some of them are just really, really well done. And this is one of them where it, it's just a very chilling thing to see the face or pretty much close to what the face of this killer looks like. And even the, the sketch is cold and, yeah, it has it has dead eyes, but I'm pretty sure the killer himself has a similar look in his eyes as well. Um, 
he kind of reminded me of the actor. Uh, kind of looked like John Hurd, you know, uh, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone's, you know, his dad. Ah, uh. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> so, uh, kind of looked like John Hurd. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's really too bad he has not been caught yet. Um, you know, the yeah. crazy thing about crazy thing about us covering this show in 2016 is the fact that we're talking about cases that are, I mean, by default, at least a minimum of uh, 16 years old, you know, because like, I think the show stopped airing episodes with Robert Stack in, in 2000. So, you know, this I think this was like back in 91. So, I mean, this is this is 20 plus years old of a case. So. I mean, I guess the only thing you can take comfort in is the fact that hopefully the guy's either dead or that he's reached what is known as uh, a serial killer's mellowing out phase. When they get older, they mm-hmm. tend to mellow out. They they don't kill anymore. Um, they kind of change change up their lifestyle. Uh, sometimes they slip into normal society, masquerading as a normal person. That's other- what happened with the BTK killer. Um, he Den- I think his name is Dennis Rader. And he ended up, uh, he was a fixture in his community. He was a pastor, the local church. Um, and then at a certain uh, point in time in his life, during this mellow out, mellowing, mellowing out phase, he, he started basically sending hints out. And uh, his mistake was he sent out a floppy disk to the police. And... He just he's not very smart in terms of how computers work. So on the floppy disk they were able to find out who he was and everything. Because he did not take any precautions to make sure that oh this word document isn't going to, you know, lead to because he had these files and stuff on a computer and so he wasn't smart enough to not have incriminating things on his floppy disk that tie him to this this information. So it, it's kind of it's kind of crazy to think that this guy had eluded the police for so long and then he decides to reveal himself. He, and... he essentially makes police a mixtape of, uh, you know, <laughs> good songs to kill to by, uh, you know, by the BTK killer and he gives his address. Yeah, yeah pretty much. And then they find out they got him then. I think he wanted to be found, though, in some way, though. I wonder Some if uh, if he was to make a mixtape, I wonder if Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes would be on there. I'm pretty sure Red Rain by Peter Yeah, Gabriel true, true. Better, Pro- uh, a more likely choice. Props to you for knowing that song, Mike. Peter Gabriel's one of my favorite artists of all time, so I didn't expect, uh, I didn't expect you to know anything besides... Well, Red Rain was supposed to be the song used in a film called Jack's Back that had to do with, like, a killer. Ah. But then Peter Gabriel didn't want it to be used in the opening credits. So there's this other song by another artist that was used instead. I love Peter Gabriel. He's probably one of the best human beings I can think of. So back to this case, there were a few suspects in the murders, and the police have indicated that one of the suspects, Michael Niccolo, matches the physical description of the person who attacked Jane Borowski. Niccolo killed himself in Florida in 2005 after he murdered his wife and stepdaughter. Gee, more murders. What a surprise. And in Florida, uh. during the time of the murders, Nicola lived in Holoki, Massachusetts. His wife at the time had relatives living in Vermont. His residence was also very close to Interstate 91. 
He is also believed to be responsible for the murder of his first wife, my Michelle Ashley. Police have a difficulty linking Michael Niccolo to the killings, as there has been no evidence other than Jane Borowski's description and time to the case. Also, Niccolo was living in Virginia at the time uh, of the Count Cortemarsh, Fried, and Morse murders. I'm glad you attempted to say that last name because I wasn't going to attempt to. I just put the, her first name on there. I was like, Quartra, but what the uh, I, Yeah, I'm just going to put Bernice. Quartermanch. Quart- I think that's what it is. Jeez. Quartermanch. I'd, Quartermanch. I'd have to see it spelled out. I'm not even going to attempt to say that. It's C-O-U-R-T-E-M-A-N-C-H-E. I think it's Quartermanch. If you guys want to submit your th- thoughts on how to pronounce that last name, you can write us to Unsolved Mysteries at... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I did memorize a P.O. Box number for the old Unsolved Mysteries. It was 11449. That is a P.O. Box number. And if, yeah. if, if, if this podcast ever gets popular enough to where anybody wants to send us some gifts or something, I have to get a P.O. Box. I want to get I want to get a 11449 if that's even available here in, uh, <laughs> in, my, in Florida. Oh, that's funny. All right, uh, um, I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if I don't you have know anything what else to say about this case, except uh, it, the segment itself was very well done. Yes, I'm surprised it wasn't on the bizarre murders set. You're always surprised when <laughs> you just like pretty much unsolved mysteries should have just been a complete series on box set because they're they're all pretty much good as far as as yeah. far as me and uh, Mike are concerned. I think. <laughs> no, but this one in particular because it's a very it's got a. It's really well put together. The editing is top notch with the stuff with investigator, and then with the interact with the reenactment, and it's a very eerie, chilling segment that stuck with me at a young age, and it still sticks with me. Um, it's yeah, just it's, it's a classic. Have an update, you know, where this bastard got caught. Yeah. But, uh, Oh, please stop killing them. <laughs> All right, moving on to uh, the second segment of this podcast is um, the Matthew Chase uh, murder, or at the very least, the Matthew Chase abduction. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of funny saying abduction, because, uh, you know, you, you you think of a male who's in his 20s, you wouldn't think that it's very common for people like this to get abducted, but it, it was money-based, it was some kind of robbery, you know, that, that I'm certain of. Um, June eighth, nineteen eighty eight. God, all in the nineteen eighty eights. My year, of my birth was a, just a hectic year for murders. Uh, June eighth, nineteen eighty eight, eleven forty five p.m. Returning home from dinner with his roommate Teresa Dahl, Matthew Chase remembered he needed to deposit his paycheck um, in in the ATM. Now, this is a situation I find myself in quite often. Uh, I get a check from whoever of my two employers and. I'm just stuck with this fucking thing in the center console of my car, and I'm like, oh, damn, I need to go to the ATM. Thankfully, I don't go to the walk-up ATMs. I'd go to the drive through ones. I do that specifically for the purpose of, A, I'm lazy, and B, if someone ever did try to fuck with me in any way, I'm just mashing down the gas and speeding off. Yeah. At least I did leave with Did you do my... that in during the day? No, no, I do it I do it late at night sometimes. I'll, sometimes I do it very late at night. That's what I'm saying. Like I can relate to this guy how he went at night to do it because I've done this. I've done it too. I, I've done the walk-up ones late at night. So that's what really, you know, is, is definitely something that stands out for me is because sometimes, you know, I got some cash and whatever and the check and, you know, I don't do it that often. But it's, a, but it's always an uncomfortable sort of scary thing anyway. Even if you're in a neighborhood 
that's safe. You never had anything ever happen before. It's just, it's at night. You know, there's barely no cars around. It's late at night and you're, you're alone. And it's, it can be pretty scary. Um, I try to get it done as fast as possible. Right. And I mean, the amount of times I've had people approach me, be like, hey, man, I, I, you know, I'm sorry to bother you. you know, I, I just, I need, me and my wife broke down and blah, 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 and we just need a little bit of money to get, you know, a bus ticket or this, that, and the other. And I mean, thankfully, nothing's ever happened, but man, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, probably from watching this show and just listening to the bullshit news, American news media has made me very frightened of uh, my, of the common man, of my, uh, of my common brother who I do not know. I'm, I'm very f- afraid of them. I'm assuming that he has a weapon or, or bad intentions. Uh, it's, it's, it's sad to say, but it's true. I just, I, dude, I just don't trust fucking, I don't trust strangers at all. Like, I don't. Stranger danger. I mean, it's funny that I put myself out on YouTube and all these other places where literally thousands of strangers are listening to me, but it just, you know, and that's fine because there's like a buffer, but like just... I don't know, man. It's like, I love people. I'm very people oriented. But when it comes to like people at night or in weird areas, like this one guy was trying to talk to me about like joining his band and it was some bar, some redneck bar I had to fill in for with karaoke one time. And he was wanting me to play in his band, but he was asking me in the bathroom and I was like taking a piss. And I'm like, uh, this is not the time or place to be talking about this. So I'm going to assume that your band probably isn't that reputable because <laughs> seems like you would have been told by now that you don't uh, you don't talk to someone about band matters when they're trying to hang their hog and, uh, you know, relieve themselves. So, yeah, I don't I just don't trust the people. So anyway, back to old Matthew Chase here. Uh he only took his bank card with him because he assumed that this was going to be like a pretty quick transaction. His roommate Teresa let him borrow the, her car so he could just drive right, you know, up to the bank and just, you know, bing, bang, boom, he's in and he's out. Should have only taken about 10 to 15 minutes, according to Teresa, to run this errand, especially since he had the car. Matt did it. He did arrive at the ATM that night, but he never returned home. The next morning, when Matt still didn't come home, his roommates called the police. Um, then they called the bank using his, and they used his social security number to convince the bank that they were him. And, uh, they were trying to see if any transactions took place the night before, because they were trying to do a little bit of sleuthing to figure out what happened to their friend slash roommate. When the bank confirmed that there had in fact been transactions, Steve and Teresa, Oh, I should say, by the way, Steve is uh, Teresa's brother. I guess they all live together. Um, Steve and Teresa called the police again a second time. Uh, Records confirmed that he made successful deposits of his check, and then he returned to the bank a few hours later, and he tried to withdraw $200, which he knew was over the limit of what could be withdrawn. Later that night, two more attempts were made to withdraw money, but were refused due to lack of funds because the check hadn't posted yet. Um... You'd think the dumb shit with the gun or wh- whoever he was trying to make, you know, poor Matthew Chase uh, d- d- withdraw money. You'd you, you think the guy would know that. It's like, hey, man, I just deposited my check. There's no way that these funds are going to be available, but whatever. Um, 
Later, the card was used at another branch in another neighborhood, but this time, a surveillance camera caught Matt and another man standing right over his shoulder, and they actually show the video surveillance of this. Yeah, and that's that's one, that's one of the things that is the most memorable about this case for me and this segment, is that video security camera footage. It, it, you are seeing on camera probably some of the last moments of Matthew Chase's life and you're seeing the killer you get this not it's not a sketch you're seeing the person right there in front of your eyes and it's just a very just disturbing thing right because you know it's just like one of the investigators was saying on the episode he was saying you know this this guy should not have been in this photo and that's kind of one thing that stuck out to me you know the invest that the investigator said he goes this guy should not have been in this photo with matthew nobody would ever let someone stand that close to them where they could over you know look over their shoulder and see all their you know pertinent financial information like uh-huh. pin numbers and all that so this guy clearly was out of place so, um, when the card was used in another branch in another neighborhood, they got an actual kind of picture of this guy on the camera. Um, police suspect that Matt was abducted by this man and that Matt continued to enter erroneous amounts as a signal for help. So, he would enter these, these erroneous amounts of money in the ATM knowing that, that it was going to flag, you know... So over the next day and a half, there were five more attempts to withdraw money. By this time, Matt's check had cleared and he was able to withdraw $400. And that pisses me off. It's like, I work so fucking hard for my money and it's so hard for me to get money. And it's like, I have so many bills. And for just someone to just go up and and just take money like that from you, it's just so like, oh my God, like I hate thieves there is nothing more yeah. that i hate in this world than a fucking thief i mean you can lie you can cheat whatever and well, that I, I hate you know murderers you know thieves are bad you know thieves and murderers are right up there yeah i they're, mean they're right up there at the same just to i don't know like i just amount of hatred for me you know because the murderer takes someone's life uh, and this guy was a thief and a murderer. Well, see, the thing so. about murderers is they're less common than thieves. Thieves are all over the fucking yeah. place. Thieves, yeah. thieves can be uh, sheep, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. They can masquerade as your friends. Yeah. I mean, the amount of like, I mean, not, I mean, I thankfully I haven't had a huge amount of people who have done that to me. But like, man, I had this one guy who. Um, Long story short, he basically stole a guitar from me, a $600 guitar that I let him borrow out of the kindness of my heart. And he went and he uh, pawned it for uh, heroin money. That guy was a loser. He's not in my life anymore, thankfully. When I found that out, of course, um, he was no longer in my life. But um, so, uh, you know, the guy gets the $400 or whatever. And uh, finally, the card was confiscated by the machine. Now, I don't know if this is some security measure they did back in the 80s or whatever, but uh, it was kind of cool because in the segment, uh, you know, the card's in the machine. And when it confiscates it, this, like, glass shield comes up, like, like you know, just comes out over the ATM, the entire ATM. So there's, like, liter- it's like a window now in front of the ATM, and you can't even... Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like, Terminator's visor or some or, or, or RoboCop's visor. Like it just like me, <laughs> like you couldn't get to it anymore. 
I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, I, I kind of wish the ATM still did that to, like, comp, you know, when... I mean, I don't want my card confiscated, but it just see it do that would be kind of neat. I've had my card confiscated before, and I think it was by accident. What happened was the machine was having a, a problem and, like, crashed. And so they took my card. And so there's nothing I could do about it until the next day. And then go to the, go to the credit union and be like, hey, what's going on? Do you have my card? And like, yeah, here it is. Like, thank you. <laughs> did, a, did a little shield come up? No, no. What I'm saying, it, it just took the card. Because I put the card in there. And then it crashed. So even if there was supposed to be some little like shield to come up, there's no way it could have because the computer program in the ATM crashed. So there was no way for me to get my card back. You know, right? Mike, there's a little something called, um, you know, creative license. And you could have just lied and said, yes, Josh, the shield came up and it was awesome. And I, you would have <laughs> made my day. But no, he had to say no. Nothing happened, Josh. It just kind of took it and that was it. <laughs> Well, you know, that's how I am. I'm honest. Yeah, that's true. You're honest. That's what I like about you. You're a straight shooter. <laughs> um, so anyway, his roommate Steve was able to put a freeze on the card in an attempt to locate what bank they had been at or at least get fingerprints off the card. However, when the card was dusted for prints, it had been wiped clean or Matt's abductor used gloves, one or the other. Um, Matt's parents came down from Oregon to search for Matt. They had high hopes that they would at least stumble upon the car that Matt used, but it was of no avail. Um, they also talked about how uh, Los Angeles was a scary place at night, and that made them more scared for Matt. By the way, this all took place in Los Angeles. Aren't we great hosts? They believed that Matt was a victim of a mugging and was walking around with amnesia. Now, what's a common theme here, people, that again. we've just heard again? Yeah. Amnesia. This show, I mean, this show talks about amnesia more than I ever remembered as a kid. Like, it's always amnesia with these things. But hey, whatever. Um, well, that's, the, that's the, you know, the hope. Right. That's people clinging on to hope that, you know, their son isn't dead, that he's has amnesia and, you know, stuff like that. And I, and I think, didn't they do a reenactment, like what it would be like if he's walking around the street, you know, without... With, who doesn't know who he is. I've seen that before in other segments where they say it could be amnesia. That it, this, you know, the, the actor who played the guy is walking around the streets or whatever. Whoa, what's all this? Where am I? Who am I? Whoa. <laughs> I guess this, uh, I guess Matthew Chase is played by Keanu Reeves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my interpretation of it. Again, creative <laughs> license. I don't know who I am. <laughs> Whoa, this so does not rule. So um, they went down to shelters and they showed people pictures of Matt's driver's license because that's kind of the only thing they had to go on. Uh, a lot of people down at the shelter said they saw him. But I mean, you hear stories about this all the time. People at shelters will say kind of anything you want them to say. If you know, it, you know, sometimes they just want someone to talk to them. So they'll be like, oh, yeah, I saw him, you know, and uh, it, it's not the most reliable sources there. Um, on July 27th, almost three weeks since Matt's disappearance, the car he had been driving finally turned up. They ran the license plate, and associate, and it was associated with a missing person. Which, to me, it's like, shouldn't the license plate been associated with Teresa Dahl, his roommate who let him borrow her car? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, anyway um, they dusted the car for fingerprints and other evidence, and the car was completely void of anything, which was obviously unusual, but not unusual if you think about the fact that uh, the guy who abducted Matt was a criminal, so he knew to do all that. 
the one clue they did find was a blue bandana that didn't belong to Matt uh, or Teresa or Steve, apparently. So, And it had the letters PBS on it. So, and no, it's not the public broadcasting system. <laughs> it was Bob Ross the whole time. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, that's uh, some uh, Latino game named Los Playboys. They they have the same sort of uh, kind of uh, lettering. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I some people have the the theory that it's a gang thing. But I'm like, I don't know if a gang, you know, the Lost Playboys would be as clever to make sure there's no fingerprints. I don't know. To me, that's not like brain surgery or anything, wiping fingerprints off of something. That's, yeah, I guess so. That's yeah. kind of being but a the guy thug 101. The, and also the guy in, the, in the, the footage, he didn't look like a, you know, a Hispanic Vato gang member type guy. You know, he just, just looked like a older man it's kind of hard to tell with uh hispanic people sometimes because they, they can they can look very uh anglicized sometimes they can look very ethnic it, it really ranges yeah. you know so it's it, it's hard to say really from the shot um i mean really all you can tell is if he's you know black or non-black you know because that's really the only yeah thing that you can say for sure but he definitely wasn't a black guy but to, it's kind of hard to rule out non-hispanic although i will agree with you he didn't necessarily look hispanic but i've seen a lot of people who don't look hispanic who are yeah so um by March 29th one of the chapters of this case was closed the coroner's office uh, confirmed the remains that were discovered in ravine in nearby Pasadena as those of Matthew Chase. The cause of death was a gunshot wound, and um, the case is being handled as a robbery yeah. homicide. The man in the uh, camera, uh, the the screenshot or whatever you want to call it, uh, he's wanted for questioning, obviously. Um, yeah. Apparently, it seems uh, there might be two different people, two different people involved with Matthew Chase. With the, there's one guy involved with the kidnapping and the and the robbery, you know, and stuff like that, and then there's another people involved with this murder. Um, there could be that possibility as well. There could be the possibility that the guy who kidnapped him, you know, is the guy in the security camera footage. But then there's another possibility that the, he didn't murder him, but it was maybe some members of this gang, because apparently this play plus Playboy's gang was really big in Los Angeles at the time. Uh, the bandana uh, has this, the acronyms that most of the the gang members had. So it seems like there's definitely a, a big connection with that particular gang uh, with Matthew Chase's death. Now, it could also be involved with the robbery as well, but there's a possibility that there might be two different you know, criminals who got away with uh, two different crimes. Yeah, and would any of that surprise me? Not in the least. Not in the least if it was gang-related. It sounds like more of a professional job anyway to where it would have to be some of some kind of an organized thing. Uh, it was just it was just orchestrated too well for it to be some kind of slap-shod, spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. Um, so my question is to our listeners in Los Angeles, because we have a few that I've seen. Um, one of them, I think, even posted on our uh, Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries uh, Facebook fan page. Uh, 
What is your opinion about Los Angeles at night? Weigh in. Tell us how you feel. I'm interested to know. I'm curious. I always wanted to live in LA, but it's too damn expensive. Um, also, if you happen to have a rich uncle who owns a record company, send him a demo tape of my music, Dancing with Ghosts. I would appreciate that. I don't really have anything else on this Matthew Chase case. I feel bad for the guy and his family, obviously. Yeah, but... I do. You know, may he rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. And, uh, yeah, I hope someday, maybe, you know, his, his family, you know, they'll, they'll get some justice, but it doesn't seem like there's any leads. <laughs> Well, that's another thing about us doing this podcast. I mean, I know it's a fucking long shot, but I mean, if 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 anything we could do could help solve any of these, that would just be that would make my life. Yeah, that would be amazing. So, we've uh, dealt with two cases of human beings doing crazy shit. Now let's go to the unexplained with our final segment uh, on the ultimate collection. It is titled Wheatfield's Visitations, which is kind of a bad phrase it should be wheat field visitations but whatever johnny and uh terry (laughs) well they already had a one that was just called crop circles so this one they had to differentiate i guess but um so this one's about uh in particular about uh i guess this was kind of when crop circles first started becoming a thing uh it was really happening a lot in england uh particularly by Stonehenge, which uh, 95% of all the sightings have been in the vicinity of Stonehenge or some other monolithic kind of rock formation, which, you know, there's more than just Stonehenge as far as mysterious rock formations. That's just the most popular one. A lot of these crop circles have happened around these areas. Um, So... This had been going on in England in the uh, early 90s. Um, It cuts to Robert Stack inside an old Victorian-style house, and he's kind of walking up. And then to Robert Stack's left, there's this big-ass blown-up picture of a crop circle. And boy, did it look sweet. Uh, I I wish I could get me a big blown-up picture of that. And and I actually figured out my next tattoo. I'm going to get a crop circle. Uh, One of those, that that elaborate one they showed at the end that's like really long and had all the different geometric designs. I'm going to get that tattooed on my uh, inside of my left bicep to uh, go with my uh, UFO uh, sleeve or whatever. Um, But yeah, that thing looked badass how they blew it up like that. Um, He goes on to say that this picture was taken recently, recently for that time. Uh, and one of uh, the wheat fields in England uh, seems simple enough, but it's not simple at all. Nobody knows how these circles have gotten here. Nearly 95% of the circles appear near Stonehenge, and others are near similar stone formations. Um, kind of first happened just after sunrise of this farmer. I didn't, I didn't bother taking down the guy's name because no one knows him anyway. Uh, I take that back. My, that's my great uncle Larry. Anyway, sorry, I just pissed off people in England for tempting the accent. I should have learned by now. Uh, This farmer noticed that there was something that he had never seen before in his wheat fields. It was a huge circle of the wheat that had been pressed down. During the last year, according to this segment, during that time, during the last year, there had been more than 750 circles that had appeared overnight, some as big as 100 yards in diameter. Thank you, Unsolved Mysteries, for not using the metric system when you described that also. I appreciate yeah. that. It, it's really, the, these crop circles are, are just, some of them are very articulate. They're very detailed. And some of them are actually pretty beautiful in some ways. Oh, they're fantastic. And, and 
I don't buy the skeptics' responses to some of these. Well, it's all just uh, hoaxers and whatever and so on. And, and you'll explain why. But, yeah, when you get to it, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on that. Because there's definite evidence that shows that these a lot of these crop circles are not just people just going around stomping on the wheat. All right, Mike. You want me to go along? So here we go. <laughs> The circles are never cut. They are always pressed down, and they run clockwise and counterclockwise. And they actually show up close footage of this stuff uh, mashed down, and it's actually a sight to behold. It's very interesting looking. Um, the crop isn't damaged. It continues to grow, and it can be harvested normally. Sometimes there are what is known as satellite circles. These are the very these are the various different descriptors for crop circles. You know, there's some known as satellite circles, which are the images that we all see in our minds to where there might be one big circle and then um, a few yards away there's a smaller circle and then you know maybe to the uh, other side of the big circle there's yet another one. These are known as satellite circles because they kind of um, you know are around the main circle. Um, sometimes the circles are grouped together, so you'll have kind of the, a bigger one than a smaller one and a smaller, kind of like the Russian babushka dolls. Um, other times there are concentric circles that run, run along each other like a bullseye or something like that. And then other times they're all three co combined together, uh, all the aspects to form one big elaborate circle. Uh, Colin Andrews is a local government senior officer, and he's been investing crop circles in this segment. Uh, he explains how the numbers have been increasing more and more and more. I mean, the, the increases over the years in the early 90s in England, it was just substantial for these crop circle sightings. Um, fields in which 28 circles have appeared in the span of four to five weeks. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, that's, I mean, what is that? That's like, like seven crop circles a week. Um, they occur in all weather conditions, and they have not found a correlation between meteorological conditions and the circles themselves. So already we're tr the, in this segment, they're trying to set up, you know, uh, ways to quiet the skeptic as, as far as what it could be causing this. Um, now, now, one thing they're certainly not doing is insisting that it's UFOs or anything like that. They're just saying the theories that you've given us so far are bunk, you know. So, many scientists who have been invited to participate in this research, uh, I guess, maybe rightfully so, have suggested that these circles are hoaxes, which is the typical go-to for scientists, well-respected scientists, to automatically go say that it's a hoax, which I guess I can understand to a certain degree, yeah. but, but you really need to know all the facts before you start throwing around that, that phrase. Um, or word, I should say. Oh, well, specifically, for instance, this is the one that I remember the most, is that these crops, their whole genetic structure is changed. That is something that cannot happen by just mashing the crops down. And, and, and when you mash the crops down manually, it would have, it would, it would, they would bend and break in a different way. Than right. what you see in these uh, particular crop circles. Yes, there are some that are fake. There's probably a high number of ones that are are end up do end up becoming hoaxes, but there's a certain percentage of them that are unexplained that don't know how they appeared, what came to be of that, how these came to be, and some of them like are in the middle of these like giant fields, 
And it's like, uh, there's no way that somebody could have done this during the day. So if someone's going to hoax it, they'd have to do that in the middle of the night. And in this giant, like, can you imagine like those, what, what, what were you saying? Like was like 700 feet or something. I mean, some really giant big crop circle with intricate designs. I don't think that's something you can do with like one person or even a handful of people in you know one night in the in complete total darkness oh yes and uh trust me i am gonna get to uh get to uh colin andrews laying laying the smack down on all with a bunch of facts and data with all that um which by the way colin andrews is just your uh consummate english gentleman in this episode he's just everything you could imagine when you think of an english gentleman uh he's, he's... i think i've kind of heard of him before because i think he's written books on aliens and crop circles and stuff like that so that i remember reading so one of the scientists archibald roy of glasgow university of scotland began studying the circles in 1980 um as he's saying no theory seems to fit the bill there's an imagine a thick scottish accent which i'm not even going to attempt um no theory seems to fit the bill there's frankly uh the unacceptable theory this is this has always made me laugh out loud when it, and he's not saying he believes this but he's saying uh these are some of the theories he's heard so uh in a moment of silence for this noise right here uh, <laughs> there's a frankly unacceptable theory that hundreds of hedgehogs are marching around in circles Oh, God. Ugh. Whoever suggested that, please take your own life, because that just... Oh, you idiot. It must have been a fan of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. Just, Sonic, he can really move. God. The hundreds Sonic of hedgehogs... crop circles, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other theories have been downdrafts of helicopters, which, again, complete bullshit, and would not, would not form these elaborate patterns. Uh, of course, the most popular theory amongst uh, UFO fanatics is that it's a landing pad for UFOs. And then there's the fourth theory that it's a hoax, um, which is also another popular theory. Um, I think it could... I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really think it's a landing pad. Like, I, kinda, I think maybe it's a like, communication sort of thing. Like maybe a way to communicate through certain symbols. Because some of them look a lot like hieroglyphics. Right. So that's what it makes me think that Maybe landing pad, but maybe maybe it's just marking their territory or something. So, as part of a televised experiment, the British military personnel tried to craft an artificial crop circle. Uh, anytime machinery was used in this experiment, the crops were damaged, so that's out. Me mechanical methods just can't be used. Um, when we examine a naturally made crop circle, the bottom of the plant... And this is fascinating. Pay attention to this, people. Stop. Hey, put down that coffee. Listen to what I'm saying. Uh, I'm just assuming someone's out there drinking coffee. When we examine a naturally made crop circle, and by naturally I mean not by people, so whatever that means to you, the plant must be softened, the base of the plant must be softened, bent over, and then hardened again. So think of like the bottom of a plant forming like an S shape. That to me is like that that's it I'm done that's that's just incredible what can do that and I mean not even getting into the whole changing the uh molecular structure of the plant which is what you were talking about earlier um 
what is it that's softening the plant, bending it over and hardening it up again to make it lay down the way that it is? That's just, that's crazy. There's nothing we have that could do that. I mean, that's, that's manipulating nature, dude. That's crazy. Yeah. Then they cut to this it couple, is. um... Well, before that, uh, they, they uh, looked into some other theories. Uh, there was no evidence of a fungus that could be doing this. There was no underground formations of, uh, you know, ancient architectures or anything like that. There are no sinkholes. Uh, whirlwinds were thrown at one point, but there's no way it could create such neat, punched-out shapes uh, that all seem to form overnight, by the way. Uh, sightings are often linked to bright objects in the sky, and then it cuts to Jack and Pat, this couple who saw the lights in the sky um, over this field, and then that the next day there was a quintuplet quintuplet set of cro uh, crop circles that appeared in said field. Um, also, another set of crop circles was found in Andover, which linked together in a straight line that took them straight over where the couple saw the UFO. So it was almost like, you know, it, it made like a straight path from Andover to where this couple saw the other lights over this other field. Um, and I would also like to point out that uh, I saw this video on YouTube one time, a uh, long time ago, and I've since looked for it, it was taken down. It was real grainy footage. And I think it was from some TV documentary or something, but it was really like, like you know, hand cam footage of these bright lights that were just dancing around kind of in the sky, kind of low, not high like the stars, but low, like maybe like where you'd see a drone flying around or a kite or something like that. They're floating around the sky. Then it was like over this field and all of a sudden in the field, you just see the grass just lay down all at once, just in this one, wow. yeah, this one quick fluid motion, the grass laid down in this circle pattern that formed like instantly. Um, it, 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 it gives me goosebumps right now just talking about it. And, and it didn't help that during this particular show, they were playing this music that was just like, it sounded like screams. <laughs> it, was, oh, no. it was very spooky. Um, so, um, you know, this couple saw these lights uh, and then then next day there's there's these uh, crop circles which correlates with this video I saw on YouTube in which in my mind if I was to think about how crop circles were formed by whatever these things are that's almost how I would think it would happen you know it would it wouldn't it, like the grass just lays down like it was so spooky to see man it was crazy yeah. I've heard arguments that it could be uh, related to kind of an earth sort of thing like the energy um, because people are saying things like Stonehenge is built to try to kind of uh, enhance or capture some of the uh, energy within the earth. So that's kind of an interesting thing, like the geometric, ge you know, uh, geologic energy uh, theory, which is kind of interesting, but I don't really know about that. But it's what some people have, the theory that they have. And there's also an interesting connection with some where some crop circles are. Uh, some farmers have found their animals have been mutilated. So then there's been kind of a, a connection between cattle mutilation and crop circles in certain areas. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to accept the earth theory, uh, some kind of uh, geological kind of uh, phenomena happening. I'm, I'm totally willing to accept that. Um, I'm not saying it's UFOs, but I mean, it, it's it's just, it's so fascinating. And the, the, only, the one thing I do have to feel, though, and, and it's kind of backed up in this segment, is like, there, there's just got to be some form of intelligence doing this, you would think, because these patterns are just so deliberate. 
yeah. mean, you see what, you know, Mother Nature is not the most deliberate thing in the world when it comes to a, a lot of things, earthquakes and other kind of, you know, hurricanes and this, that and the other, any kind of naturally occurring thing that the earth does uh, volcanic volcanic eruptions it's very chaotic and then you see these beautiful geometrically formed uh thing you know uh formations in uh wheat fields and cornfields it's almost it doesn't it doesn't really jive with uh no shit the earth normally does <laughs> exactly it's, it's, a, it's a theory um and you know just like a lot of crop circles have, have been I mean, particular ones have been unexplained for years, and I think they'll continue to be that way. We really don't know exactly what creates these intricate patterns on these wheat and cornfields. So, uh, um, so uh, Colin Andrews and his team they set up uh, electronic monitoring equipment for eight days uh, on uh, eight days and eight nights on a field where crop circles had appeared. Uh, during those eight days, no circles appeared, um, not only in that field, but anywhere else. So that's what kind of led them to believe that whatever is creating these circles was aware that they were being watched, and therefore it must be some sort of intelligence at work. Um, so later on we go to, uh, although no crop circles formed, the project did produce one important finding, and this is actually super fascinating. Um, they go to... Um, Colin again, and he's saying, Pat, this guy, Pat, that was part of his team, Pat and myself were being interviewed in the largest circle that they had ever seen when the sound man had detected an electronic warbling noise going on through the microphone. And then Pat, uh, who stood just off to the side of the formation, stood inside the circle, and he could feel an energy. He could feel... Um, like a, a like almost like a strong like sound wave but there was no sound you could feel it in your body though kind of the vibrations and then when mm -hmm. he stepped out of the circle the energy field dissipated and the noise stopped as well and it was no longer being picked up into uh, the microphone so now there's a sonic aspect to it as well to these circles and kind of this energy force behind them again what what you know what's that about um, that definitely would uh, distinguish the real McCoys from the, the fake um, crop circles, which there are. I mean, there are definitely fake crop circles. People, I mean, there was a whole documentary I remember seeing when I was a kid where um, some show went out to debunk crop circles and they showed how, and I'm sure everybody's familiar with this now, they take the 2x4 and it's attached to like a piece of rope and they stomp the 2x4 down on these uh, you know pieces of wheat and eventually they're able to, you know, knock it down and create what appears to be a crop circle, but they're in no way, shape, or form as elaborate as the ones that are being mentioned in this particular segment. Um, and they also don't have the indicators, you know, of the genetic structure of the... Right, changing the... the ...being changed. And there's also, uh, speaking of energy, I remember reading things where certain crop circles have had traces of radioactivity have been found in, in these crops. Which we know good and well correlates to UFO activity as well, because any time, yeah. any case of UFO involvement, there's usually always radiation that follows. That's kind of a component with UFOs. So um, our, that Archibald Roy guy that they interviewed earlier, he actually made a very great quote um, involving this. He said, if we don't know something about the world, oh, he goes... I fucked it up. He says, if we don't know something, that means the model of our world is inadequate and it should be studied. 
And that's kind of how I feel about it. If we don't know something, the model of our world is inadequate. I mean, we don't have an adequate view of how our world works if there's exactly. this stuff going on and we have no explanation for it. Um, one of, and, and you think the show's over at that point, but then they hit you with some more knowledge. Robert Stack's just dropping knowledge bombs on you this whole time in this, uh, in this segment. Um, I, I like to think in my head that Robert Stack just hand wrote all the scripts and uh, plots and everything to every Unsolved Mysteries episode. He's just like on the like writer's table, just with the one lamp on, with the cigarette burning, you know. And it's like 3 a.m. in the morning, and his wife's like, "Robert, come to bed." He's like, "No, shut up! I gotta finish this crop circle segment." Uh, <laughs> I like to think that that's the truth, but I know it's not, sadly. Um, uh. So one of the most interesting new formations for the uh, you, for the first time we see rectangles were used, um, and this is kind of like an update that they were doing. Like right when you think the segment's going to end, they come back mm -hmm. saying uh, new interesting formation. They're using rectangles now as well, and then uh, we're told that again by Mr. Colin Andrews that uh, the British government says that the uh, word pictogram is the accurate word that is supposed to be used for these instead of crop circles. Um, so they discovered the largest pictogram ever recorded so far. Uh, the sheer si I'm still going to call it a crop circle, though. Fuck off, British government. Um, the sheer size of the crop circle made it highly unlikely that it was man-made. Um, marking uh, the marking of this, it was a uh, it was one eighth of a mile long. And so, Colin Andrews, kind of what you were talking about earlier. If you consider that under controlled conditions, it, it took a team of 12 people to create something like a 100-foot diameter circle, a simple circle, it took them 12 people, and it took them six hours for them to do it. Uh, now, if you look at this new formation that was found that was literally an eighth of a mile long, had rectangles, circles, lines, I mean, this thing was intricate. You know, we're looking at a huge team of people working overnight, and at that time of year, you only had eight. Or you only had seven hours of darkness in that particular location, and that location could have been seen from multiple vantage points. And gamekeepers were all around the area keeping watch, and they said they didn't see anything. So it's like, it's not man-made. That one wasn't, at least. So yeah. then, kind of the the cherry on top of this this segment is in an attempt to capture the circles on tape, uh, an operation known as Operation Blackbird was set up uh, this July, uh, of that, when that segment was taped, not this July, obviously. Um, for three weeks, scientists and other experts monitored one of the most active locations. Ladies and gentlemen, get, re get ready for one of the most frustrating times that you have ever experienced in an Unsolved Mysteries segment. I'm just about to I'm about to deliver it to you and just get ready for the frustration. Amazingly, four circles did form while the camera was rolling. Two were hoaxes, but two were legitimate. So we have on tape two legitimate crop circles being formed. And what does Unsolved Mysteries do? The footage secured during those events are being enhanced and analyzed. And of course, this footage will not be released until the analysis is complete. And we never get an update on that. Nope. <laughs> there you go, folks. We got two legitimate crop circles on fucking tape because they had two hoaxes. They had two that they could say, these are hoaxes, and then they had two that were legitimate, and we're not going to show you the tape. And the episode ends, and never get an Just update. Kidding. 
just gives you a serious case of blue balls. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I am just like, when I saw this on the box set, you know, when I first got the box, set, I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> but after that, then they go into um, what you were talking about, uh, the how botanists were studying the uh, plant samples, and they studied structures of plants found inside the crop circles and outside the crop circles. And um, the plant structure, the crystalline structure of the plant inside the crop circle had a much more deliberate pattern and much more consistent crystals. And when I say much more deliberate pattern, they show you the slides side by side and it's freaky. It's like alien looking shit, the structure. So they show the structure of the plant sample that was taken outside of the crop circle. And it's, you know, it's all scattered and just, you know, looks like little uh, amoebas or whatever in, the, in no particular formation. And then it shows the plant structure that was inside the crop circle. And it's like this Zelda Triforce looking like all neatly together in this like triangular shape. And they're all packed in and, and just freaky, like alien looking, yeah. just yeah. precision. Human feet cannot do that, folks. I'm sorry. Helicopter blades cannot do that. I'm sorry. And most definitely hedgehogs. Hedgehogs are the only thing that could rearrange plant structures in my mind. I know hedgehogs have the magical ability to change plants. No, I don't. Yeah, I know. I'm just fucking around. (laughs) Yeah, no. I'm I'm just just making light of how fucking ridiculous of a a suggestion. Even though the guy himself... (laughs) Yeah. So... There you go, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you're left with uh, with this knowledge now that these formations happen. Yes, they are hoaxes sometimes, but not all the time, sadly, for you who wants to believe that this stuff doesn't exist and wish it away. So it's out there. What's causing it? We don't know. Is it fascinating as all hell? Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the more overlooked sort of unexplained phenomena because... You know, a lot of people just focus on UFOs and ghosts or Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. And crop circles are just as fascinating and interesting. And we actually have more evidence, it seems like, to prove that there is some sort of unearthly, unexplained uh, thing behind the creation of some of these crop circles. Um it's very... There's a real eye-opener watching that segment because of the whole thing about the genetic structure and you see the the, the actual evidence as well that shows you that. Yeah, that's, so it that's shows you the slides of both samples literally compared yeah. side by side, the, unal- the, the plant sample outside of the circle and the plant sample inside of the crop circle. I don't know how you could deny that. I don't know if you can sit there and be like, no, it's still a hoax. I don't know how you could do that with that evidence. If you want to call bullshit on UFOs, if you want to say, if you if if you want to just deny all the evidence, what's doing it? How? What? What is it? It's unexplained. If if, if there's no way there for there to be 750 crop circles that appeared in England in that one year, and the intricacy and the size and sonic aspect of it and the genetic structure being changed and the fact that the bottom of the fucking wheat softens lays down and then hardens again 
what? <laughs> Again, human feet can't do that. Sorry. No. Neither can a piece of wood with human feet. Attached Neither can to a it. piece of wood. Neither can a piece of wood. So uh, this is just in infinitely interesting to me. Um, this reminds me uh, that like a cousin uh, story to this case would be the Nazca lines. I don't know if you've gotten. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah that, I saw that one. Yeah, that might actually be my pick for next week. Uh, that's that's equally fascinating. That that is man made, but it's like. Anyway, I won't even get into that. Um, that one, I'll have to say, you'll have to wait later for the Nazca lines. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really all I have to say about it. It just, it, 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 it's one of my favorite uh, segments uh, as far as kind of uh, phenomenon that doesn't directly deal with UFOs. Um, the crop circle. There's another crop circle segment on the Ultimate Collection as well um, that, that we can get into at another point. But, uh yeah, I just God, how interesting, you know. That's just and and if you if you haven't yet, go on Google and just and I really hate to say look up crop circles because man, you can Photoshop that shit now and it's just unfortunate. But if you can get a chance to see some of these these uh, designs uh, and, and maybe if you can find a real McCoy on there, if you find some website that specifically caters to having you know the real evidence instead of some bullshit Photoshop job, go and try to do that because these things are just sights to behold if nothing else they're works of art in my opinion yeah i agree they definitely are works of art so i think that's all the time we have for episode 11 uh i want to remind remind everyone again we do have a facebook page we uh have seen a few of you guys out there reach out and that's really awesome we really enjoy uh the feedback it's great um it's uh facebook.com slash uncovering unsolved mysteries or you can just type it into the search bar Give us a like. Give us some suggestions. Um, some lady from Australia, I believe, messaged me about um, the uh, Two Mary murders. That's the, That was the name of it on the Ultimate Collection. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about that case yet or not, Mike. Oh, I've heard about that one. That's the one where it's uh, the two different uh, women named Mary. Yeah. So that's... Who, so well, I think there was like a hit or something. Yeah, mistaken hit. Yeah. Um, well, no, mistaken hit. That was Danny Castler. That's one. That's another one that people request. We got, we got so many requests, and we have so much time to do it. So she suggested that one, um, or maybe she didn't suggest it, but now I kind of want to talk about it, so maybe that'll be another contender for next week. But uh, yeah, I mean, send us your requests and we'll do it. You can find Mike on Facebook, uh, YouTube. God damn it, I always say Facebook. You can find Mike on YouTube, youtube.com slash OCP communications. Uh, he just, what, what was your most recent video? Oh, I, I tried uh, some uh, New Zealand food and drink uh, that somebody sent me. So I tried uh, L&P soda and some pineapple lumps. And uh, the next video will be a review of a uh, New Zealand uh, horror film called Black Sheep that deals with uh, killer man-eating sheep and also were-sheep. So yeah. some, someone did somebody from New Zealand actually send you that? Uh, somebody from New Zealand did send me the food. Man, that is uh, so cool. Yeah, and uh, he's a friend of mine. He's he's sent a, he sent me some other stuff for my Amazon wish list, and he's also sent me some other stuff uh, later, like in October. So he's a really really nice guy. Uh, so yeah, and he requested the Black Sheep uh, review. So and I saw that last night. So that'll be the next video. I am also in the process of uploading uh, each episode of this podcast on my YouTube channel. Um, I'm way behind, so uh, when I get caught up, I get caught up. So, um, 
I guess if you aren't really able to listen to it on podcasts, uh, you know, on, on uh, iTunes or any of these other options, you know, eventually you'll be able to hear this on uh, YouTube. <laughs> Mike, you do you do a movie. Your channel is mainly about uh, reviewing movies and doing rants about shows and movies and stuff. How, If you had yeah. to guess, how many movies, just ballpark, how many movies do you think you've seen in your life? Oh, my God. I, I don't. I don't know. There's too many. Do you think I, it would be in the thousands? Easily. Easily. Oh my God. See, I, I don't. I think mine would be below a thousand. Honestly, I don't think I've. I, I shit. I haven't seen that many. That's why I made a list a long time ago, like a bucket list of movies that like were critically acclaimed that I had never seen. You know, I got tired oh. of people going, "What? You've never seen Pirates of the Caribbean?" and shit <laughs> like that. So I was like, "Okay, okay, I'll make a well, damn I'm list." You, I'm surprised you haven't. I, I'm. You know that one. I'm. I'm not really that surprised we haven't seen that one. Well, I have, I've seen it now. As of now, I've seen it because I got so sick of people going, "What? You've never seen such and such movie?" And it's like, God, shut it's up. Persist like or Star Wars or yeah, I've seen all those. Um, more like the art house ones I haven't seen. A lot of the critically acclaimed indie ones I haven't seen. A lot of the horror ones I haven't seen. I've never doesn't seen. Doesn't necessarily mean if they're critically acclaimed. Doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna be good to you. Right. Uh, I've never seen Dawn of the Dead. I've never seen uh, either. I've never seen Nightmare on Elm Street. And you should see a Nightmare on Elm Street. I've never seen... Uh, uh, what's the one with... The original, the... not the remake, with uh, Sling Bay Freddy. What's the one with uh, Jason? Friday uh, the 13th. Never seen that one. Never the first se- one doesn't have Jason yet, though. That's a different killer. And then Jason doesn't show up until part two. Dude, I, if I if I sat here and told you the movies I haven't seen, you'd probably not want to be my friend anymore. No, it's fine. I have plenty of people that you know I know that haven't seen certain things. I'm not like that. That's good. Well, you can find me on YouTube. Uh, uh, you well, you know what? I've been saying this, and it's not true. I've been. Uh, you have to reach a certain subscriber amount to where you can make your uh, own um, URL. So, like, Mike has enough subscribers. Uh, I think he's almost at ten thousand to where he can he can easily make his own. So that's why you can find him easier. Uh, I was saying it's YouTube.com/slash/DancingWithGhosts2, but you can't find me if you type that in. That will not take you to my page. You just kind of have to type in "Dancing with Ghosts" in the uh, search bar and hope hope you'll find my shit. It's such bullshit that YouTube keeps new yeah. YouTubers that like they hold us down. It's like the new YouTubers are screwed. And they're the ones who need the help the most. And then the YouTubers who are established get all the perks and benefits that just help them grow bigger and bigger. And it's like, well, how am I ever supposed to get big if I don't get any of these benefits? It took me a long time to get where I am. And it's not even that big. So, um, you know, I'll take uh, any subs that I can get. um, And I appreciate that a lot. But uh, comparison to other YouTubers, yeah, I'm I'm not really a big YouTuber. But you know, I like doing what I do. It, it's fun for me, and apparently, it's fun for other people as well. So that's why I keep doing it. Yeah, I like your channel. I've, I've, it's it's grown on me. Um, at first, I didn't know how I'd feel about someone like sitting in front of a webcam, like talking about um, you know, stuff, and not not really having a whole lot of visual aid. But but actually, uh, the way you do it is 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 actually really entertaining and. Uh, 
you're just really good at like just fluently talking when you're going you should listen to this guy go off on movies and shows like he's really you know he knows his shit about that stuff uh to, as, as a comparison for me my <laughs> latest video that i'm putting out is the top 10 songs that i never want to hear again i honestly can't wait to to see that i really can't i love videos like that yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a DJ. I do weddings, karaoke, just regular DJ gigs, and I definitely have a strong top ten list of songs I never want to hear again. I'm so sick of. So you can find my yeah, channel for been requests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll do a part two, three, four, five, six, seven if I have to. I I could I could easily dig up many more songs I don't want to hear again. Um, no, I'm just like, are are the people at your karaoke you know gig? Do they request those songs? Absolutely, they do. Absolutely, just like. Oh God! There's there's like three songs on the list that I'm gonna put out that everybody insists on singing because it's either a staple or it's an easy song to sing or a lot of people know it. And once they get into the song, they realize they bit off more than they can chew because like the song isn't in, in a key that is so much higher than what they can actually sing in. Oh and, God, that must be painful. Oh, it's very it's very very painful. It's very painful. Um, so yeah, that's I guess that's all of our plugs and promotions and whatever. Uh, we're we're clocking in uh, almost at two hours yet again. What can I say? This is just so damn fun. Um, exactly. Anyway, that's the podcast. Uh, we will come at you next week. Hopefully, Monday will be our schedule from now on, um, or Tuesday, something you know, in the early week time, whatever the fuck. Uh, it's really whenever Mike's ready to do it. 